are thousands of churches this morning will be praying, as we're going to do here in just a moment, we're representing hundreds of thousands of people across our land praying for our nation. You've heard this verse so many times. He said a little part of it there. But in Second Chronicles chapter 7, we see that uh, Solomon has just dedicated the temple. And things seem to be going okay for Israel at that time. And it's a precious time in them as they brought the Ark of the Covenant into that temple there that Solomon had built. And uh, God wanted to reaffirm the Israelites and let them know that things can always be blessed with me. And so he told them in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And uh, we, we're going to talk about it here in just a few moments, but uh, we all know that the great answer to the things that are of uh, troubling in America today are going to come from inside the churches with prayer and godly people standing up and saying, Thus says the Lord. And so I want to take a few moments this morning as a body of believers here in Beaverdam, Virginia. And uh, you can pray as a family. You can pray by yourself. You can get on your knees. You come to the prayer rails. We're going to take just a few minutes here this morning. But uh, I want to call our body of believers to prayer this morning to pray specifically for our nation and our part as followers of Jesus Christ and seeing our nation turn its affections and its vision back towards God. So let's take a moment right now and pray. Pray together if you like or pray silently. Pray out loud, but let's pray. Father, you tell us in your holy word to be still and know that you are God. In this stillness of these moments today, Father, we thank you, Lord, because of Jesus Christ, Father, that we can enter into your throne of grace. So, Father, we come this morning, Father, first and foremost, Father, to, to praise your holy name. Father, you are a great and mighty God the creator of all things, Father, the Alpha and the Omega, Father, the first and the last, Father. Lord, we thank you that out of your love, Father, out of your mercy, out of your grace, Father, you sent Jesus Christ into this world, Father, to die for our sins, that we might have true freedom, Father, through him. Lord, we do thank you for the freedom we enjoy as Americans, Father. And Lord, we want to confess this morning as well, Father, confess our sins to you, Father, how we've fallen so short, Father, as a nation. Father, I pray this morning, Father, that you'd forgive us of our sins, Father, which I know you will through Jesus Christ, Father. But also, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be able to take a stand in greater ways, Father. And, Lord, that by your power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, that we might be able to impact the future of our nation, Father, through you. Father, that we would live our lives in such a way, Father, that we point other people to you, Father. Lord, that we wouldn't walk this world, Father, in a state of confusion, Father, because we know that you're not the author of confusion, Father. I pray right now that every one of us, Father, would grow in grace and knowledge, Father, and wisdom in you every day that we walk on this earth. Father, I pray right now, too, Lord, that we would stand for the truth, Father, that we would speak the truth, Father, that we would not be ashamed, Father, that we would not be bashful, Father, or be silent, Father. Lord, we know that uh, evil things happen in this world, Father, when good men, good men and good women do nothing. So, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we would be doers in this world, Father, and not just watchers. Father, we thank you now once again for all those that serve in harm's way, Father, our military first and foremost, Father, this morning as we think about them, many of them overseas today, Father. Protect them, bring them home safely to us, Father. We pray, too, that you have a successful accomplishment of mission. Father, I'm also overwhelmed this morning and mindful, Father, of all the first responders we have here, Father, our police officers and sheriff's department, Father, our firemen, our EMS workers, Father. Bless them, Father, and protect them in their line of work. And, Father, I thank you that those individuals have called, have, have answered the call, Father, to stand in the gap for us here day in and day out in our communities, in our state, and in our nation. Father, I'm also mindful this morning of our elected officials, Father. I pray right now for them first and foremost, Lord, that every one of them, Father, would seek you first 
seek your wisdom, Father, but also, Lord, that they would have a hunger and thirst for you, Father, and desire to walk where you'd have us to walk as a nation. Father, protect our leaders as well, Father. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that the truth would begin emulating itself, Father, across this land, Father, because you are a great, mighty God, Father. Lord, many of us in this room probably think there's no way we can make a difference, Father, but we know that one man with you, Father, is a majority. So, Father, I pray right now that you'd use each one of us, Father, to impact our sphere of influence, Father, to make that difference, Father, because of the difference you made in us. And, Father, I thank you for the privilege, Father, I have to stand up here this morning, Father, to share your holy word. Father, I pray this morning that I'd stay out of your way, Father, that you'd speak your truth this morning. As always, Father, I pray that every one of us, beginning with a pastor, would leave this room in just a little bit different than the way we entered in. Father, I thank you for my friends and my family here in this church. Father, I pray right now your richest blessings on them. And, Father, I pray too, Lord, that each one of us, Father, would understand that this nation is the nation it is, Father, because first and foremost of you. Lord, we thank you now for all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, before I get into God's Word here for a second, I just have one little brief announcement here this morning, but uh, I want to welcome for the very first time as a married couple, Mr. and Mrs. D.J. Williams, brand new married couple. God bless you guys. Wave back there. I like to take the holidays like July 4th and Veterans Day and Memorial Day to, to talk about God in America and kind of want to look at some of the things where we can see evidence of God in America. One of the most gruesome chapters in America's struggle for independence occurred in the waters off New York Harbor between the years of 1776 and 1783. The British Army took abandoned and decommissioned warships and turned them into prisons. And they parked those vessels out there in the water off of New York City. By their best estimates, more than 11,000 Americans died on those British warships because of the brutality and the cruelty and the way they treated those prisoners and malnourished them. Just to put that in perspective this morning, 11,000 prisoners died on those warships, 45 died on the battlefield in the Revolutionary War. So it was just totally outrageous. But the worst prison ship of all was known as the HMS Jersey. It had a nickname, Hell. Abraham Clark was a New Jersey delegate to the Continental Convention. He was also one of the signers for the Declaration of Independence. He had two sons that served as officers in the Continental Army. Both those young men were captured, though, by the British, and both of them were put on that prison ship, the HMS Jersey. It was a brutal time. Word got back that they were the sons of this delegate that had signed the Declaration of Independence. The end of the war was in sight. It was just around the corner, and the British pretty much knew that. So did the Americans. But the British sent a message to Delegate Clark and said, Hey, if you recant the signing and the support of the Declaration of Independence... We won't kill your sons. Can you imagine having that placed at your doorstep? With great despair and great anguish, an incredibly heavy and broken heart, Adam Clark responded with words that really still move us to this day, 242 years later. He said, no, I won't recant. I won't renege on what I've done. 
I continue to support the Declaration of Independence. 242 years ago this Wednesday, 56 brave men pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to the independence of the United States of America. They all sacrificed greatly. Five were captured, they were tortured, and then they were ultimately killed. Twelve of them had their houses completely burned to the ground. Two of those signers lost sons. Nine of those signers fought in the war and they died in battle. These men had great courage. You know, the other thing that these founding fathers had, that they were, they were given great insight into what it takes to build a great nation. They received incredible insight. This morning you may be wondering, well, who gave them that insight? It's an easy answer. God did. God gave the founding fathers of this nation insight. How's that? By their relationship with him through Jesus Christ, but also through God's word. The founding fathers were faith, and they had faith in God and God's word. They were mighty men of faith. America was founded on biblical truths. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to look at one of those biblical truths very quickly here. It's just one verse. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Psalms chapter 33, verse 12. Had you turn there, we don't know who the author of this scripture is, but we know it's a psalm of thanksgiving. We knew it was also written specifically to, specifically to the Israelites. God had delivered Israel. If you read this whole chapter, we're not going to read the whole chapter. But Israel was threatened by an external enemy, and God gave them victory over that before they had to go to war against them. Psalms 33:12. Stand with me this morning, if you will, as we read this scripture. It's just one verse. Psalms 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his inheritance. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Father, it's this pastor's heart's desire, Father, that we would see, Father, your handprint all over the history of this nation, Father, that we might be able to stand strong on all that. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know what God is telling the nation of Israel here? What he's telling you and I as American citizens? Well, it's only when we align ourselves with God that we're going to know the fullness of his inheritance. That's what he's saying. It's only when we line up with God, when we bless God, he's going to return and bless us. That's how it happens. America has known God's rich influences and inheritances all these years. It's because the founding fathers understood Psalms 33. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. Just a little trivia here this morning, January 20th, 1957, Dwight Eisenhower placed his hand upon an open Bible that was open to Psalms 33:12. He quoted that and swore the oath of office as President of the United States. You know, it's sad, though, this morning as we think about the state of our nation here, the state of what's going on all around us, that we, most people, don't realize the truth about the founding of our nation. They don't understand what July 4, 1776 is. I saw a little blurb on TV about somebody on the street, you know, the man on the street kind of asking questions, what does July 4th, 1776 mean? Most of them that they talked to didn't know, no idea. One of them was pretty smart, though. He said it has to do with Christopher, Christopher Columbus, right? No, sorry. How, how can we get to a point living in the greatest nation of all time when we don't understand our founding? How is it? I'm going to say just three things this morning before we really get into a little bit of history here. First and foremost, isn't it sad that 
there's an all-out assault against God in the public square. We no longer want God to have everything to do with America. We really don't. 1963, they took prayer out of the, out of the schools. 1964, they took the Bibles out of the schools. Now they've taken the, the uh, Ten Commandments out of schools. We're afraid the kids will listen to those Ten Commandments. How sad that we no longer want God in America. We have no conception about truth anymore. The second thing that we're seeing happen in schools is they're rewriting history. How sad. If you were to go find a textbook of history for a high school student from the 1960s compared to a high school textbook today, 2018, there's no comparison, I'm here to tell you. You'll see no thoughts about God whatsoever in that textbook. You'll also see no thoughts about some of those godly men that stood for God, did the right thing because of God. You're not going to see many, many of the great heroes of our founding fathers and of our history here. They've taken most of those generals out of there. They've taken most of those characters that were part of the Continental Congress out of there. They don't want our kids to know those things. How sad? How come? Well, it's because of secular humanism. We no longer want anybody to think there's a God up there. We want people to think that we did it. I'm that smart. We don't need God because we're smart enough to do things without Him. Well, we can kind of see what's happening in America today. We're not really that smart without God. In fact, I think most of you know that uh, there's a national holiday every year for atheists. It's April 1st. Psalms 14 says, the man who says there is no God is a fool. It's true. You know, the third thing that I see them doing nowadays, which just kind of breaks your heart, is they, they want to tear down all the monuments. Go figure. I want you to know the truth about tearing down monuments, okay? They can tear them all down. They can. And that's not going to change one thing about prejudices, about bigotry, about injustice. None of that's going to change any of that stuff. There's only one thing that's going to change all that stuff in America today. It's God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Amen. It breaks my heart that we're no longer teaching the truth about America. The only reason I would want the truth about America to come out is because it's all about God. God has truly blessed this nation. I love history. I really do. I love the study of it because I learn from it. There's so many things to learn about history. You know why we make so many mistakes today? Because we haven't learned from history. It's just so sad. But I believe, friend, that it's absolutely imperative that you and I revisit and review the history of our nation here. We come to understand that this, the birth of this nation came because God blessed this nation. God did a marvelous work here in America. God used ordinary men and did extraordinary things with them. God has an incredible plan for America today still, I believe. But it involves you and I more than anything else. As we look at American history today for just a little bit, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. I want you to think for first and foremost, whoever's sitting here worshiping God. We're sitting today in the greatest nation the world has ever seen. There's never been a more blessed nation than America. I've had the opportunity and the privilege over the years to preach in two different pastor schools, one in Africa and one in Central America, and sit there for hours and hours with these young men. Just I didn't see their eyes most of the time because they're so busy writing. Both of those schools I taught in had an interpreter. So as, as he was interpreting what I was saying, I had an opportunity to watch these men. And they couldn't write fast enough. They wanted to hear all these things about God's Word. But on the break time, I didn't get a break because they all wanted to stand in line and talk to me. And I love that. They wanted to tell me, first and foremost, we thank God for America. 
We thank you that you're here. We thank you that America is a city on the hill. We thank you that America is a Christian nation. We wouldn't be here today. You know what? Both in Central America but also in Africa, one of the greatest things you can do to get ahead in life is to, earn, is to learn the English language. They realize that there's something important about America and they realize it's God. That God did that. We stand today on the greatest foundation of faith and prayer that the world has ever seen. Never before has a nation been blessed like God and like America has been. I want you to think about some of these historical things, writings that we've seen over the years. On May 13, 1607, the Virginia Company had been sanctioned to sail to the New World. They landed on Jamestown Island. You know what the first official act was? An Anglican pastor by the name of Robert Hunt got off that boat. He took an old sailor and went down and set up a church. The first official act on that island was to have church and pray and thank God. Praise God for their safe landing and arrival. It was a brutal trip. Many people died. But they're so thankful to God that they got there. Just 13 years later, on November 20th, the Pilgrims and the Mayflower arrived in Provincetown, Massachusetts. They were supposed to land somewhere closer down here to Virginia. Storms took them off course. They ended up landing up there. Before anybody got off that Mayflower ship, though, you know the story, they sat down and wrote a self-government form. They called it the Mayflower Compact. This is sad. This is what I was saying a few minutes ago. If you go get a history book out of a school today and see the Mayflower Compact, you won't see this one line there. But this is the reason they did it. They're writing that. And they came. It says, having undertaken this for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. You won't find that in textbooks today. How come? Why don't we want to know why these pilgrims sacrifice and risk everything to come here? For the glory of God, they say. They came here so that they might advance the Christian faith around the world. You go back to Christopher Columbus for just a second, helping that person that was on TV tonight, uh, yesterday that didn't see it. Christopher Columbus said later in years why he did that. He did it that he could spread the gospel to the new world. That's what he said. George Washington said it's impossible to rightly govern without God in the Bible. The first Supreme Court justice, a fellow by the name of John Jay, said Americans should select and prefer Christians as their rulers. Thomas Jefferson placed Bibles in public schools. Let me say it again. Thomas Jefferson placed Bibles in public schools at the taxpayer's expense. You know what else Thomas Jefferson did? Thomas Jefferson started a church in the capital. And that's where he went to church. Guess what else he did? The music had to be not quite as good as ours, but it's probably pretty good. He had the Marine Corps band play the music for the church. Bible verses, as you well know, are etched in stone all over federal buildings and monuments in Washington, D.C. Supreme Court of the United States of America. I love this. If you stand outside there at the bottom of the steps there, look up at that big, massive building across the archway, at the entryway there, you'll see a bunch of pillars of people, of, of, of um, engraved people along the top. At the very pinnacle up there is one man standing there with two plaques in his hands. It's Moses at the top of the pinnacle of the entrance of the Supreme Court of America. On the two wooden doors, huge wooden doors, you know what's engraved there? The Ten Commandments. You walk inside to the courtroom there where, where the nine judges meet and sit, if you look on the wall behind him, guess what's there? Engrave the Ten Commandments on that wall. Every session of Congress begins to this day with a chaplain that's paid a salary by taxpayers. That's been happening since 1777. If you were to do a little climbing up the side of the Washington Monument, get all the way to the top, the very top, that, the pinnacle of that Washington Monument, there's two words, last deo. It means praise be to God. 
It's the, to- it's the tallest point in Washington, D.C. It's another thing. We've seen it before. In the rotunda of the Capitol is a figure of the crucified Jesus Christ. Painted. How did all this happen? How is it that we had such a phenomenal founding of faith with the founding fathers there? Well, let me go back to 1734. Just 42 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. A handful of preachers were anointed by God in a very precious, powerful way. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Gilbert Tennant, John Wesley, and many others. These men began preaching the fire of God. They were great preachers already, but they began preaching with a passion people had never seen before. They came from miles to see these men. Great crusades and great revivals broke out. Tens of thousands of people were saved and dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ. This mighty movement became known as the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, which began 42 years before the American Revolution, was a precursor to the American Revolution and the signing of the Declaration of Independence. The generation that experienced that whole Great Awakening, you know what? They were the ones that signed the Declaration of Independence. They're the ones that fought and died for our independence. They're the ones that wrote the Constitution. Another one of those pastors, not quite as famous as those guys, was a fellow by the name of Samuel Davies. You may have heard of him. He was a brilliant man. He was called to be a missionary, and he was sent into the wilderness. You know where that wilderness was, right? Hanover County. You know, they, they wouldn't let Samuel Davies preach in many churches because he wasn't Anglican. But he still preached. He found places to preach. He went to churches in the backwoods and homes and barns and things and fields. He preached and preached and preached. There was one lady that brought two children with her, and they just loved his preaching, and they followed him around. He was a little bit of a surrogate pastor, preached over here in Polgreen quite a bit, had his own church ultimately there, but she followed him around. But God was speaking through these three men in a powerful way. There were three central focuses that they had, three great truths that these three men were basically preaching. First of all, that God belonged on the throne. Ponder that thought today. God belonged on the throne. Unfortunately, in America, they'd taken him off that throne, but it was time to put him back. Unfortunately, we've taken him off the throne here in America as well, and it's time to put him back. That's going to happen when you and I do it. When you and I get serious about who we have as a Savior. When you and I get serious about we care about this nation. We want people in this nation to come to realize what we realize. That there's hope beyond hopelessness. That we don't need to be sitting here today in a dismal, despairing, discouraging way. Because Jesus Christ gives us hope. The second truth they were preaching was the Bible was the Word of God. No doubt about it. The Bible was the Word of God. Isn't it sad that we no longer want Bibles taken into public schools? How sad. We're going to teach everything else, all kinds of stuff that's not true. I hate it. I really do hate it. The fact that we cannot teach the truth to our children in public. The third truth, there's only one way to eternal life, and it's Jesus Christ. There was a little bit of universalism back then. But they were preaching that the only way for eternal life is through Jesus Christ. I told you about that mom that brought her two kids to hear Samuel Davies preach. Her name was Sarah Henry. You know her son, Patrick Henry. After 29 years, at the age of 29 years, Patrick Henry became a delegate to the General Assembly. I love this fact. You know who our delegate here is in our, our little area here? It's a guy by the name of Buddy Fowler. He comes to our Bible study on Friday mornings. He's been to our church a number of times. 
you know what seat he sits in down the, uh, the General Assembly? Patrick Henry's seat. Still known as Patrick Henry's seat. You know, one of the days that Patrick Henry was down there sitting in the General Assembly, they were debating the Stamp Act. Then he come out, and discussion stalled out. Patrick Henry stood, began to speak. He began talking about the principles that Samuel Davies and these other pastors had talked about in their churches. He talked about God being on the throne. He talked about the Bible as the Word of God. He talked about Jesus Christ as the only way to have eternal life. You know, it's interesting here. There was another man in that assembly that day. His name was Thomas Jefferson. Years later, Thomas Jefferson was asked, who is the greatest orator you've ever heard? You know, some people might think he's going to say, well, uh, <clears throat> Patrick Henry. He said, no, it was Samuel Davies, the pastor of that church there. Well, the years go by. <clears throat> now we're up to 1774. The king of England was getting ready to close the harbor in Boston, Massachusetts. Virginia didn't know what to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. They signed several delegates, Richard Henry Lee, Thomas Jefferson, and Patrick Henry, a couple others as well. What's the most important thing we can do to help our brothers in Boston? What can we do? Well, they agonized for quite a while. They couldn't figure it out, but finally they came to agreement. The greatest thing that we can do as Virginians is pray. They weren't sure if the whole delegation was going to accept this. The resolution to pray passed unanimously in the House Assembly there. Well, the old governor of Virginia, who was appointed by the king, was very upset. How dare you pray against the king? So the governor dissolved the legislature. Well, the legislature wasn't happy with that, so they walked across the street and went to Raleigh Tavern, which is still down there in Williamsburg today. On May 24, 1774, they wrote a greater resolution that changed the world. The first thing they put on that resolution was that we're going to pray. We need to pray. Beg God's mercy. Beg God's wisdom. Beg God's hand be upon us as we do and take this, these actions. Then they also said this line. You've heard this before. They said that an attack on one colony is an attack on all the colonies. They're calling kind of for a unified United States here. They called to have a first continental congress as well. Later that year, the Congress, the Continental Congress was assembled on September 7th, 1774. We saw a little video on that. They couldn't agree once again. They couldn't move forward. So they made a motion that began each day with prayer. As you saw in the video there, Jacob Duchesne was called as a pastor to pray for him. On the first day, though, when he prayed, he opened the Psalms 35. I read that again the other day. It's beautiful. But John Adams wrote this to his wife, Abigail. He said this in a letter to his wife. He said, I have never seen a greater effect upon an audience. It seemed as if all heaven had ordained that psalm to be read that morning. There's power in the Word of God. There's power in prayer. The First Continental Congress led to the Second Continental Congress. And it was that Continental Congress that voted to declare independence. That Congress picked five guys to write the declaration. Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, John Adams, Roger Sherman, and Robert Livingston. Thomas Jefferson was asked years later about writing that document. He said this. He said, all the ideas that we had in that document came from God. They all came from God. The greatness that we've seen over the years in American history is written in the blessings of God Almighty. 
I don't know if you know, this is how they got the Declaration of Independence out, but at the bottom of that original copy of the Declaration of Independence, they wrote that this is not to be given to town clerks, newspapers, or even officials. This document is to be carried to all the pastors and all the churches in the country and let them read it from the pulpit following the Sunday service after the day they receive it. The Founding Fathers fully believed the promise in Psalms 33.12. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. They realized that. I believe most of us in this room today would say we realize that as well. They also realize that the rights don't come from a king or from some congress. They come from God himself. If given by God, they can't be taken away except by God. A number of years ago, the University of Houston did a study on the writings of the Founding Fathers. They collected some 15,000 writings by those original Founding Fathers. Their whole goal was to determine where the primary source was for those items. 95% of quotes of those Founding Fathers, either directly from the Bible or obvious references to the Bible, came from there. I want you to turn in your Bibles just very quickly for a second because I want you to see this here this morning. A lot of times we, we hear about the Bible being used to kind of form our government. But turn to Isaiah 33, verse 22 for just a second. Isaiah 33:22. You know, the question is, how can we organize this government? How would God organize our government? Look at this. Isaiah 33, verse 22, it says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. He will save us. Where do you think the three branches of the government came here? The Lord is our judge, there's the judicial. The Lord is our lawgiver, there's the Congress or the legislature. The Lord is our king, there's the president or the executive branch. Over and over and over in the Bible, you're going to see where these original signers, these founding fathers, sought God's word for truth. How do I understand this truth? And how do I put this truth to use? And how do we form this nation to be blessed, and how do we form this nation right? Can you imagine carrying that weight on your shoulders? How can I, how can I construct this, this nation? How can I build this nation? How do we build it as just a mere body of men here? Well, the only way to do it is with God. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. Who built it? We know that scripture. We know it from our family perspective. But think about in the nation, the kind of weight that these men were carrying, trying to build this nation that way. To understand that we want this nation to be successful. We're undertaking something, and I want you to think here too, sitting in that Continental Congress a year and a half before the war actually started. We're getting ready to take on the greatest army and navy the world has ever seen. We don't even have an army and a navy as a nation. We've got some little militia guys. We've got a few police officers. We've got a couple guys that know how to shoot a rifle to kill game. We don't have an army like that. We don't even have much of a navy. America, though, waged that war against the greatest nation and army the world's ever seen at that point. But God's hand was on that nation. God's hand was on that endeavor. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. They realized that. They knew above all else we need God's blessings. You know, that should be in our heart today as well. Above everything else, I, we need God's blessings on us. We need to see these things. No country has ever relied, I believe, on God's holy word more than America has. We lied on England for Bibles for many years before the war. With the war, the importation stopped. They wouldn't send any more Bibles. You know what Congress did? 
They ordered some 20,000 Bibles from Holland and from Scotland and paid for them. They wanted to put Bibles in all the soldiers' hands. You know, through the years, our nation's been tested over and over and over again. Through the years as well, and just till the last 50 years, our nation has claimed to be a Christian nation. The Supreme Court has come down numerous times. This is a Christian nation because it's been challenged. Are we really a Christian nation? Question today, are we a Christian nation? A lot of people debate that. A lot of people wonder why. Well, if you want to answer it from the perspective, is every single person in America a Christian? The answer would be no. But if you look at it about the foundation of our nation, if you look at the documents that we live by and that the Constitution operates by, if you understand what God has done in this nation all these years, you'd realize it is a Christian nation. We don't act like it many times, but we're still a Christian nation. God has truly blessed our nation. He's given us victory after victory. He's given us the greatest economy. He's given us incredible resources, incredible innovation, incredible weapons. When Congress was asked where we're going to put our trust, they said not the atomic bomb, not our resources, not the economy, not the inventions. You know what they did? They said, we're going to make a national model. We're going to put our trust in God. We want our trust to be in God Almighty and God alone. As we think this morning, just for a few more minutes, about the incredible heritage we have as Americans, it's easy to see that God has truly blessed America. You know, but have we forgotten God? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. If this morning, maybe we got a glimpse, and I know many of you already had an understanding and feeling of this, but, you know, as we understand where we came from, as we understand what's made us great all these years, as we understand that it's God that is the foundation of this nation, why wouldn't we be again returning to those things that made us great to start with? Why? Why is it? You know why? Because we're letting the folks that celebrate their annual anniversary on April Fool's Day dictate to us what we're going to believe. Going to force it down our throats in schools. I mean, it's absolute ludicrousy to see what they want to teach kindergartners, first graders, and elementary schools today in public schools. Really? I want you to know that the greatest problem in America today is not a money problem. It's not a technology problem. It's not a government problem. Government's not going to solve our problems. It's not a global warming problem. It's not even a nuclear weapon problem. It's not a welfare system problem. It's not a debt problem. It's a spiritual problem. When we realize we have a spiritual problem, you know what we need to do? Find a spiritual answer. Our scripture passage today is that scriptural answer. God's very clear. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I want you to know this as well, too, as we wrap up this morning. Our destiny as Americans is not just going to happen by chance. It's going to be by choice. We have a choice. We really do. We can sit on the sidelines or we can move forward. You know, old brother Joshua had a problem at the end of his career there with the nation of Israel. They all kept vacillating and kind of turning their back on God. So he gathered them all together, the entire nation of Israel out there in the plains, and said this. It's Joshua 24:15. You know this. It says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose yourselves this day who you will serve. Were the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river? Were the god of the Amorites? in whose land you dwell. But, probably say this in unison, can't we? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a choice. He gave Israel a choice. You know, the same choice is ours. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Is that a mantra on your wall? Is that a mantra on your heart and mind? Now's the time for you and I to rise for this occasion. It really is. Sometimes we feel like this, but I want you to know that the White House, the Congress, the Supreme Court cannot put Jesus Christ back into the grave, okay? We have a risen Savior. We have a living Savior today. We have power beyond measure. God desires to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. History clearly reveals, if you go back and read the history of other lands and other nations, the consequences for forgetting God. Israel dealt with it for years and years. God did not call you and I to quit. Jesus did not quit. God's way is the only way. Jesus Christ is the answer. You and I need to stand firm on God's word. I think most of us in here believe in the power of prayer. I believe one of the greatest things that you and I can do is get even more serious, beginning with your pastor here, about praying. Praying for each other, praying for our church, praying for our ministry here coming out of this church, pray for our neighbors, pray for our nation. I'm excited about the endeavor that our church here is starting. Your church is starting here in July, beginning on July 11th at 6.30. I'd like you to write that down right now, a little piece of paper, or write it on your notebook or in your Bible if you like, and put it on your calendar. I'd love to see the better part of our church sitting in this sanctuary on July 11th. My birthday, so you don't need to bring anything. Just kidding. At 6.30, but I'll be here. Why? Because I believe in the power of prayer. I know you do too.